Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we're going binary and are bowing down to our dystopian future overlords, the robots. Apparently, we should be using robots as recruiters. I bought a robot about 13 years ago, so it's a teenager now. It's a cyborg, so I'm not so sure it would help. We have something else to talk about other than business interruption, COVID, and the real house rise of Cronulla. It's earthquakes. And we use machine learning to find out about what is happening with broker commissions. Hello, everyone. On the panel today are publisher Terry McMullen, managing editor John Deeks, and deputy editor Wendy Pugh. Hello, Terry. Good morning. What would you like uh, robots to be able to do for you? Well, I'm still, I'm still getting over that, that comment of yours. I would, I'm so looking forward to AI finally infiltrating my life to the point that my life becomes totally idyllic. Excellent. Well, good morning, Wendy. Good morning. What would robots do to help your work? Oh, I suppose they could just write all my stories for me, but then I'd be redundant. Hello, John. Hi. We call you the Terminator behind your back. Do you have any robots in your house? No, I don't think so. I was talking to my son because I'm always hassling him to play ping pong and, um, you know, to get us through the boredom of lockdown. And, and I did have this idea that you could have a robotic sort of arm that played ping pong with you so, so that he didn't have to keep playing with me. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that sounds like a really good idea. Um, well, it sounds like a lockdown lament. Yes. <laughs> so on that, John, it feels like we finally got something new to talk about, the earthquake. Is it going to be a major claims event? Can you put this into some sort of context for us? Yes. So, so as we know, last week, um, those of us based in Victoria and even some beyond were left shaken and confused by the 5.9 magnitude earthquake. It was a new experience for me and probably a lot of Victorians as it's the largest quake ever recorded in the state. As of yesterday, ICA says insurers have received 4,600 claims, which is not to be sniffed at really. By comparison, Cyclone Saroa, which smashed into WA earlier this year, resulted in 6,700 claims. But what we don't have at the moment is a dollar value on those 4,600 claims and anecdotally, it appears that most of them are relatively minor. But what could be tricky for insurers is determining whether claim damage was caused by the quake or was in fact pre-existing. Terry, this is one area where Kiwis undoubtedly have more knowledge than us. What can New Zealand teach us about how to handle earthquakes? Well, I'm delighted to say they have a lot more experience of earthquakes than we do as a result of sitting on top of a fault line or rather a fault um, so their reaction to severe earthquake risks has taken a, a more dramatic path than I think we really, we really need to, to tread. Australia is a very stable country earthquake-wise, uh, but we do have common hazards. For example, the only real damage I saw from the Melbourne earthquake was an old brick building in Chapel Street in the city that lost part of its wall. The, the Christchurch CBD in 2010 and 11 was decimated to a large extent by buildings made of reinforced masonry collapsing. In other words, unreinforced masonry is brick walls without a timber frame that helps hold them up. Uh, the older main streets of Australia are full of such buildings. And the only thing that, that, that's really holding them up is their weight. 
So, uh, yeah, we do we we do have a problem. Well, you know, you just said there that, you know, we're, we're not on a fault, but Newcastle in 1989 is one that springs to mind. It's only a matter of time before there's another really damaging event here, isn't there? Yeah, look, it's a bit like real estate or cyclones. It, it depends on the location. Um, the Newcastle quake was a surprise to everyone, and, and it was quite shallow, and it was centred pretty much directly under the city. Uh, the Melbourne quake was 127 kilometres away from the city. So, as I recall, uh, the the Adelaide Hills fault is statistically the place most likely for you to experience a big shake in Australia, if you're interested. But we we are a remarkably stable country. Yes, we do have the occasional earthquake, but compared with places that are sitting on the um, Pacific rims, like then, you know, we're very lucky. Well, Wendy, we spoke last week about John Chobrid's report into insurance affordability. But this week, we've looked in depth about what he says around one particular issue, broker commissions. Why are broker commissions still being talked about? And what's Mr. Trowbridge's view? Well, the topic isn't going away because um, a Treasury-led review coming up on advice generally next year will include a look at broker commissions. Um, And specifically, um, the Hain Royal Commission said the review should take a look at whether a general general insurance exclusion to a ban on conflicted remuneration remains justified. So we've had the ACCC and the Small Business Ombudsman saying that it's it's not justified. But the the Trowbridge report uh, makes the point that commissions should continue uh, and there are risks that SMEs won't seek out advice if you moved an upfront fee model. But he says at the same time, there should be better disclosure. Um, and as part of the premium, um, all commissions and any other payments brokers uh, will receive from the insurer uh, sh- should be made clear. Well, how do you see this one, John? Well, it seems to be one of those where there's, in, in, in theory, there's a problem, but in practice, there isn't. You know, the theory being that uh, the commission could somehow create a conflict. And you have to ask, is it, is it worth throwing away an important and valuable model over a theoretical problem. Of course, it would be different if brokers were placing business with certain insurers to benefit themselves in some way, but we're assured that that simply doesn't happen. Brokers act on behalf of the client and the commission levels are broadly the same across all insurers. So are disclosing commissions any different to us highlighting who pays to advertise with insurance news, Terry? No, not really. You know, it's uh, commission is not really a, a a very rare thing in, in business, but it, it, I think it is it is confusing to consumers. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we do pay, commissions get paid to all sorts of intermediaries. It's just that insurance sort of pops its, its head up uh, as to, you know, whether it's a good thing. Well, we've spoken a lot about Aon recently, mainly in relation to the collapsed Willis Towers Watson merger. But John, there's been a change at the top in Australia, hasn't there? That's right. Uh, local CEO, James Baum, who's been in charge for about three and a half years, is taking up a new role in London as UK head of commercial risk. Replacing him as CEO is current MD for specialties, Jennifer Richards who from October the 1st becomes the first woman to run the broker's local business. Ms. Richards has been with Aon for 10 years and is a member of Aon's Asia-Pacific Global Leadership Team and Diversity and Inclusion Council. Well, John, this is an interesting one because there's been quite a bit of social media interest around this one, isn't there? Yes, that's right. I mean, our, um, our readers and listeners will know that we have a 
a pretty a pretty large LinkedIn following. We've got a, over forty four thousand LinkedIn followers these days, and uh, this story was certainly one that that caught the attention with. Uh, uh, 145 reactions, likes, and thumbs up, uh, thumbs up, and so on, and 13 comments so far, all mostly wishing uh, Ms. Richards all all the best and congratulations. But um, I guess it's an, an, an indication of the size of Aon, its importance to the the local market here, and and um, people always love uh, reading about appointments, particularly at the at the highest level. Well, Wendy, in the life insurance sector, there are some changes coming on income protection, aren't there? Yeah, um, APRA previously announced some measures uh, to improve the sustainability of uh, income protection products. And this is after the industry has seen some really large losses and premiums have been rising. So it was clear something had to be done. So, so two, two of these take effect uh, from Friday. And one of the changes is that benefits for new individual disability income policies mustn't exceed 90% of earnings at the time of claim for the first six months. And after that, shouldn't be more than 70%. And then there's um, that uh, insurers will also be able to revise the terms and conditions of a policy after five years. And a third measure will come into effect about this time next year. Is this bad for consumers, John? Well, at first glance, it, it probably seems like it is because of some of the things that Wendy mentioned there and terms that are effectively, I guess, less less favourable for the insured. But uh, ultimately, and this is a lesson for general insurance as well, I, I guess, ultimately, it is in the consumer's interest for insurance to be sustainable. Otherwise, we could all be heading for trouble. And before too long, that insurance might not be available at all. With income protection, there's been a lot of claims, I believe, related to mental health and so on. And if people just look at the figures, they'll see, as APRA did, that it can't just carry on as it is. And you could apply that same logic to to other lines of insurance and general insurance as well. Well, finally, one dive-in session heard that we should be using robots as recruiters. John, can this be right? Yes. So as you know, last week we had the dive-in festival, which is the general insurance uh, industry's annual diversity and inclusion festival. And one session that uh, we tuned into was particularly interesting for our insure tech section and um, talked about artificial artificial intelligence and using that in recruitment because uh, apparently we all have biases and um, inbuilt uh, prejudices that make it hard for us to assess candidates objectively. So if you use AI in your recruitment processes, then that creates a true democracy apparently and um, stops the human bias from creeping in. That's interesting. What do you reckon, Terry? Would you rather trust your gut or follow AI? Well, I guess in my long and varied career, um, I've seen some absolutely appalling recruiting decisions made. I have a job, for example. So, look, I I guess AI could provide recruiting decisions that are entirely free of human emotion or or prejudice. And whether that's a good thing or not, I'll, I'll leave to others. But I reckon algorithms just might be a better way of building teams that are compatible and effective than human bosses and all their inbuilt attitudes can achieve. We'll all hate it, but we'd also eventually recognise the advantages. There's no, absolutely no reason why there should be prejudice or human emotion in a recruiting decision, but humans are, you know, they're not built like machines. They don't 
entirely follow logic. I'm a, a great believer in AI being a thing that can help us with stuff like this. On that note, that brings us to the end of this week's Inside Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Terry McMullen, John Deeks, and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.